Amen. Well, thank you. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you'd like to open them with me to Lamentations, chapter 13. Lamentations, chapter 3. There's not 13 chapters. Uh, some of you got really nervous there for a minute. Chapter 3. Do you notice what we sang? Oh God, how I need you. That's one thing to acknowledge. It's one thing to give mental assent to. It's something else to feel. It's something else to pray. It's something else when you feel it and you're praying it and you're praying, God, I need you. And often it's, I need you to do this, or I need you to come through in this way. I need your help with, with the thing you need help with. What is soul-defeating, and sometimes what we need, but it's extremely hard when we go through it, is when we're praying, Lord, I need you to, and then God says, no. And you don't get what you need. Or at least what you think you need. You don't get what you want. You don't get the result that you're hoping for. And what can happen is you can lose hope in God. And, and when you lose hope in God, man, it is a dangerous spot to be. You can lose your faith. And that has happened to people. There are people that have lost their faith. There are people that have lost hope. Losing hope is, is like losing motivation. It's like losing fuel. Like, like you stay on a diet as long as you have hope that it will work. What do you do when you lose hope that the diet will work? You quit. You're not going to stay on a diet that doesn't work. Why would you do that? You, you, you know, you keep in making investments as long as you believe they'll pay off. But when you don't believe they'll pay off anymore, you don't keep making investments in something that you don't have hope will pay off. You keep texting her as long as you believe she'll keep texting, as long as you believe she's reading those things and will text you back. When, when, you, when you lose hope that she'll text you back, you quit, you quit texting her. When you lose hope in God, that's when you're in danger of losing your faith. And what we're going to look at today is how people lose their hope in God. Like what, what lies they believe, and so they lose their hope in God. So we have to say, okay, what happened to them? that they got in this terrible spot. And what happened was, they had rebelled against God, and rebelled against God, and rebelled against God, and God had warned them, and warned them, and warned them, and warned them. And finally, finally that was the end of it. And God sent in the Babylonians, and the Babylonians encircled the city, and besieged the city, and they went through this terrible time of starvation. And then finally the Babylonians came in, and burned and looted and took captives 
and there were no human rights activists present with cameras. Okay, there are no news reporters from all over the world there watching and keeping an eye on things to make sure everything was done properly and in order. And brutal armies did what brutal armies have always done, and they came in and did everything that, that happens in a time of war and conflict. And, and Jerusalem was just left in ruins. And so this is their song. But before we read it, let's pray. Lord, losing hope is a scary thing. Um, losing faith is terrifying and dangerous. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help us face these lies that would help us, that would have us lose faith and hope with your truth. Lord, speak. Stand in front of me while I stand in front of them and speak over me while I speak to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am a man who has seen affliction. I think this is probably the author of Lamentations speaking. He says, I am the man. I lived through this when the invading armies came in. After besieging us for so long, they came in and destroyed everything. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Whose wrath is that? God's? Yep. He has broken my bones. And part of the question is, does this mean God is done with us? Is this the end of our story? Is this our forever? Is this pain forever? You might have wondered that. Is this pain forever? He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Man, that is rough. God has driven them into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand, like turns his hand to hit him, again and again the whole day long. And you're just wondering, like, is the Lord done with us? Does this mean God has quit on us? Does this mean this is forever? When you start thinking about those things, you can lose hope. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. That is some dark stuff. I don't know the darkness that you face, but I bet you can find comparable darkness in Lamentations, which, which is comforting in itself because it means the Bible is willing to go wherever you are. Contrast this, you know, he makes me dwell in darkness. He leads me into darkness. Contrast that with Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. You know, this is, this is so different than what you'd expect. 
He walled me about so that I cannot escape. And he has made my chains heavy. And, and you're just wondering, okay, is this forever? And is this forever because God hates us? Now, you know, you know that the church answer is, of course God doesn't hate you. Of course God loves you. But maybe you've been through a season. You know, we said, okay, what happened to them? And we talked about what happened to them. And there were, there were no human rights activists there with, with cameras taking notes. There was no news reporters there. No one cared what happened to them. But what happened to you? When you started to wonder if God hated you. Probably you're not supposed to talk about that, but you've probably felt it at one point or another, and so we should probably face that question. Or at least someone you love, someone you know has felt that. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. God doesn't even hear me when I pray. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths instead of straight. He's made them crooked. Man, this is hard to read. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. Remember when David was trying to get Saul to let him go out and fight Goliath? Remember that? Goliath is a giant. He's out there. He's from the Philistine side, and he's the bad guy, and he's out there challenging them. And David says, why are we not going out to fight him? And everyone's like, because he's big. And David's like, well, I'll go do it. And they're like, who are you? You can't do that. And David says, look, I am a good shepherd. When I go out there and there's a bear or there's a lion, I fight it off and I protect my flock. And this is the poet going, God is the bear. God is the lion. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. It's like he's an expert archer and I'm gut shot. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. And so you're going, is this forever? Does God hate us? And does he enjoy hurting us? I mean, is God getting sadistic pleasure out of hurting us, out of like squishing us under his heel? Is he like a, is he like a, a kid with a magnifying glass burning ants and we're the ants? Is that what God is like? I have become the laughing stock of all the people's objects of their taunts all day long, and I'm just wondering, does God think it's funny too? He has filled me with bitterness and stated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on the gravel and made me cower in ashes. I mean, that's just a terrible picture of God taking somebody's head and grinding it on the gravel. Like, just... But look. God knows how you feel. You can tell God how you feel. 
you can be an, as honest as this poet in Lamentations. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. You know what he's saying? I quit. I've lost my hope in God and I've lost my faith. Might be, might be that you felt that. And it might be that you, when you felt that, you were awfully afraid that it meant that you weren't a Christian anymore. And what I want you to do, if that's where you are, is I want you to keep reading. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Even though he has no faith and he has, feels like he has no hope, he feels like his faith is gone, he's like, I remember this. And this is not a voluntary remembering, this is a remembering. And he's kind of looking up, half looking up at God, asking him to remember. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. It's like as I went down down, down, like we've talked about in previous chapters, is this remembering, this involuntary remembering keeps coming back and coming back and coming back as he's lost his faith and he's lost his hope. Then he says, then he says, and this is why, this is why it's important to face it, but it's also important to remember what you know is true. And he says this in verse 21. But this I call to mind. Okay, so there's the involuntary remembering, like almost like PTSD remembering. Like there's the remembering that you don't want to remember, but it keeps coming back. That's one kind of remembering. This is a different kind of remembering. This is a kind of grit your teeth and tell yourself what's true remembering. This is a I will remember the truth. I will anchor my soul to the truth remembering. It's a completely different kind of remembering. This is a, my circumstances are overwhelming and I feel like God is a bear attacking me and a lion destroying me, hunting me. I feel like that's what's true. I, but I will remember the truth. And therefore, I have hope. Now, what is the truth that he's anchoring his soul to? What is the truth that keeps giving him hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Did you see that coming in Lamentations? Man, it's been so long since we've seen anything like that in Lamentations. And, and here it is. He's like, there's been chapter 1, darkness, anger, sadness. Chapter 2, darkness, anger, sadness. Chapter 3, the first half, darkness, anger, sadness. And he says, that's all true. I mean, that's where he's living. That there's, he's not faking it. That's what he feels. But he's like, I will set 
my mind on this. This is what I will grit my teeth and remember. This is the truth that I will tell myself. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Like, where did that come from in the book of Lamentations? If you've been with us through this, you're like, you have to be like, almost like, like shocked, like as I am. Like, this, where did this come from? God goes from being an expert archer, giving them gut shots, to his mercies are new every morning. But this is the truth that he has set his mind on. This is the truth that will give him hope. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I just want you to know his circumstances have not changed. If you keep reading through the rest of the chapter, it is back to sadness and darkness and pain. His circumstances have not changed. But what has changed is his decision to hope. His decision to set his mind on the truth that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Man, where did that come from? Where did that come from? We just saw how God leads us into darkness, like the darkness from the dead long ago, like the darkness of the grave, the darkness of tombs. And now he's saying God is good. But one is because, man, he's been through some really, really heinous stuff. But this is the truth he is setting his mind to. This is what he is willing himself to remember. That the Lord is good to those who wait on him. And let me tell you, that is still true. That was true back then and it is true now. The Lord is good to those who wait on him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth, so you learn how to wait from the Lord when you're young. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him, because there is time to just sit and remember what's true. Let him put his mouth in the dust, like lay down prostrate, put your face down, and just remember what is true. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. You know that back in Jeremiah chapter 7, the people were living in sin, and Jeremiah came to them and said, you better repent. You really need to repent. God really is telling you you need to repent. And they're like, 
we don't need to repent because nothing bad will ever happen to us. And he says, something bad is going to happen to you. And they said, no, nothing bad is going to happen to us because we have the temple. And Jeremiah says, you better repent. And they say, we're not going to repent. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. We have the temple. And Jeremiah says, God will cast you off. And he'll cast you away. And he's going to throw you to a, a land far away. And indeed, that is what happened. And they're wondering, is this forever? Is God done with us? Is this forever? Later on, Jeremiah had gone to the king and said, you better repent. And the king said, I don't need to repent. He said, you better repent. He said, I'm not going to repent. Jeremiah says, you need to think of yourself like a signet ring that God is going to take off and he's going to give to somebody that hates you and is going to really treat you badly. The king of Babylon. He said, I'm not going to repent. You better, he's going to tear you off and he's going to throw you away to a land far away if you don't repent. He said, I'm not going to repent. And so what happened? Well, what happened is they got torn off like a signet ring and God cast them far away into a land far away called Babylon when they were in exile. And they're wondering, is God done with us? Is this forever? And the truth, the truth that Jeremiah, if he's the one writing this, the truth that the poet has set his mind to is that the Lord will not cast off forever. That God is not done with us. He's not done with us. He's not done with you. And I know that there might be some of you going, I just don't think that's true. I just think he's done with us. I, I just think that this is forever. And here's, here's what I would offer you. I guess I'd offer you Christmas hope. Jesus came because he wasn't done with us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came to join us in the mess that we've made. Not because he's done with us. He wouldn't have come if he was done with us. He wouldn't have shown up and said, follow me, if he was done with us. He wouldn't share his Holy Spirit with us if he was done with us. He's not done with you. So take hope. Set your mind on that. He's not done with us. So when you're, when you're thinking, man, is this it? Is God done? Is this forever? This is not forever. I, I remember after our son died, just being so sad. Just so very sad. And having people who had also lost a baby say, this is not forever. You will smile again. And it's true. It's not forever. God is not done with you. 
There's more hope in verse 32, even though it starts kind of hard. It starts like this. But though he causes grief, hey, have you read any of that in Lamentations so far? I guess so. I guess you have. If you've been with us in Lamentations, you know that God causes grief. He's caused them some grief. But though he causes grief, you know, like chapter after chapter of it, watch what comes next. He will have compassion. Causing grief is not the end of the story. Causing grief is not where it ends. Causing grief isn't, that's not the goal. Now, why does he cause grief? And why does he have compassion? According to the abundance of his steadfast love. The grief causing comes from love, and the compassion comes from love. We went through a season where we had a kid who, in order to control things, threw up. You can laugh at that if you want to, but I mean that's kind of, so. So if he uh, if he didn't like it, obviously he threw up. You know the food that because we have a one of our core values at our house is eat your food. And um, so anytime he didn't like it, he would throw up. Anytime he wasn't getting enough attention. He threw up. He would throw up just randomly at different times whenever it suited his interests. In order to get what he wanted, he would throw up. I remember one time we were at some friend's house. We had driven a long ways, and we didn't see them very often. And so they had set this really beautiful table out for us. They had fancy silverware, fancy plates, fancy cups, you know, the whole thing. And we're eating, and it's, it's time for us to leave. They're about to leave. they got to go to church. We're going to come back home. And the, he just throws up all over the whole table. And it was like so embarrassing because we knew he was doing it on purpose um, to get our attention or to get what he wanted. And out of love, I decided it was time to start causing him grief. Um, for throwing up. Like, you can't keep doing that. We're out, we're out at a restaurant, and s- something didn't go his way. And so, there it comes, all over the table, onto the floor. You know, we're at the house, and, and he, he doesn't like the food, but a core value is eat your food. And so, there it goes, back on, I mean, okay. So, so there's a time to cause grief as a parent. Not because you enjoy causing grief, not to get revenge, not to just, just because you can't keep doing that. I love you too much to let you build that as a habit into your life. I mean, if you've, if you, even if you don't have kids, if you have been around people with kids, probably even more so like if you're single and you think you, because that's when you know, think you know a lot about parenting, 
it was when you're single. And so you see parents like you see parents doing this while their kid is causing other people grief and they're doing this. And you're like, please do something. Cause them some grief. See, the Lord causes grief, but not because he hates us. He causes grief because he loves us. And he has compassion. In case you doubt this, you just remember, need to remember what Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 says. That he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That this is what he did for us on the cross. That he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. That what he does comes from a place of steadfast love. So if you're wondering, like, is God done with me? No. No, the Lord will not cast off forever. And if you're wondering, like, does God hate me? Is, does God hate us? Is that why this is happening? No, the Lord loves with a steadfast, never-ending love. He causes grief out of love, and he has compassion out of love. Now, verse 33 is the very middle of the book. And in case you don't believe me, how many verses are there in chapter 1? 22. How many verses are there in chapter 5? 22. How many verses are there in chapter 2? 22. How many verses are there in chapter 4? 22. How many verses are there in chapter 3? 66. So this is math mathematically the very very center of the book this is the very center now what you know about lamentations like as you think about what you've read so far about lamentations a lot of darkness a lot of pain this is the center of the book for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Does he like hurting us? Is he getting some sadistic pleasure out of bringing us grief? No. No. He does not enjoy afflicting us. Whatever your doubts are, whatever your feelings are about what you're going through, God does not enjoy causing us grief. He does not enjoy afflicting us. Jesus was um, coming into Jerusalem and he had this view from the Mount of Olives. And so he, this picture is taken from the Mount of Olives, and it's looking down. You can see how, how the, it goes down into a valley there, and that is the Kidron Valley. And then it comes back up 
into the city of Jerusalem, and you can see the Dome of the Rock there sitting on top of the hill. That is, that is where Jerusalem is. This is the view. Of course, of course, the buildings are different, but this is the topography that Jesus would have seen as he's coming into Jerusalem. And as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he says this, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and will surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And you're going, I don't know, Nathan, that sounds a lot like Lamentations, like kind of repeating itself. And I'd say, you're right, history is about to repeat itself. What happened in 586 B.C. is about to happen again in 70 A.D. History will repeat itself. Prophets will come to them and say, repent, repent, repent. And they will say, no, no, no. And God will have no choice but to send the disaster that he's promised. But here's why I have this on the screen. Because I want you to know how Jesus delivered this message. Back up in verse 41, he says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He got no joy from that. You need to know that God gets no pleasure from afflicting you. You need to know that God does not hate you, that the pain in your life, the frustrations in your life does not come from God hating you, that God loves you. You need to know that God is not done with you. If I could assign homework, it would be to increase your hope. I'd love for you to leave today stronger with more hope than you came in with. More motivated to follow Jesus than you came in. Stronger faith than you came in with. And if I could prescribe a scripture to do that, I'd prescribe Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. That you would remember that he will not cast off forever. That though he may cause grief, he will also have compassion out of the abundance of his steadfast love. And that he does not afflict from the heart. I want you to go back over that again and again and again and have that answer the lies that would zap the hope from you. I'd want you to remember that though your circumstances do not change, I'd want you to do what verse 21 says and I'd want you to set your mind on that truth. And then I'd want you to say, okay, where is this hope leading me? What is my next step? Is it back to God? Or towards God for the first time? Here's why you want to do this. You want to do this because you don't want to be a hopeless person. Because you are a hopeful person, you want to set your hope on God by anchoring your soul to the truth about God. Set your mind on this hope. Dear Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that your steadfast love never ceases, that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Help us anchor our souls to this hope and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.